Hey, you're listening to Lit After Dark, the podcast where three English teachers nerd out while they analyze Netflix's dark. This week, we watch season two, episode two, Dark Matter. 1986 Egon revisits Helga and asks again about the forest road. He also goes to a psych ward to talk to Ulrich, who has been there since he was arrested in 1953. 1986 Claudia gets a visit from her older self, learns about time travel, and digs up the time machine in her backyard. And in 2053, Jonas figures out how to stabilize the god particle at the nuclear power plant, and after some issues with future Elizabeth, jumps in and goes... Someone. All that, plus our analytical takes on this episode of Lit After Dark. So our listeners won't know because of the magic of banked podcasts, but we have actually taken a break for about two weeks. It was excruciating not watching Dark <laughs> in that time. How did you so guys painful. deal with it? By watching this episode, I think five times. <laughs> I rewatched all of season one again. Wow. Wow. I yes. started rewatching season one in German with German subtitles. Yes, I did that too. Interesting. It's fun. Was it as easy to understand? <laughs> I was no. surprised how much <laughs> I was understanding. I mean, it's because I've watched the show, but there was a few words I was like, I know that word. Yes, there was that. <laughs> that happened in this episode a lot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I disconnected myself. I didn't watch any dark except for this episode, like a couple days ago. It's impressive. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> While we were gone, we actually received an email from Australia, which is so cool. It was so neat to receive an email about it. And she says that she listens via her name is Phoebe. I won't say her last name because of course not. But her name is Phoebe. <laughs> She listens via Google Podcasts, and they don't have a review feature, but she would give it a 5 out of 5 A+, and she's also a teacher, and also understands all the comments that we're making about how unrealistic the school situation in <laughs> Germany seems to be. And she actually noticed something really cool. So she she says some other very nice things about how it's been really fun to watch the show with us. She has binged it to the end, but is re-watching it with us, and she's having a super fun time. And she brings up that in the play that Martha was in, there's a character that had a black makeup all around his eyes that looked a lot like the dead boy's burn marks, Ooh. actually, in season one, yeah. episode six, which is Sigmundus Criatus Est, which is becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she didn't really have an idea of what that might mean or connect to, except that it was a visual similarity, which is neat. Yeah, Do you guys have any is. ideas? No. He seemed like the chorus in that play, the that character. Yeah, I agree. But I don't know. All I know is that I didn't know about that, and I need to go back and watch and see because I don't remember that. But the more I go back and rewatch season one, the more connections I find to other things. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of what we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Like, here's a cool thing. I don't know what it means necessarily. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. It's an important. Thank you for the growth mindset, Jen. I do appreciate it. I know. That. I do embody that well. And then she asks a question because she could. And so she asks, in season one, episode 10, we see Helga with blood. Quite black, she adds, Ooh. Joshua. Pouring down his face after the car accident. 
could this be who Jonas sees in the forest in episode one? And she says she doesn't really see how it could be, but she just noticed that it looks similar. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about that blood. I actually did have (laughs) an ear bleed the other day, which reminded me. Sorry, what? This was an external ear bleed, but it did come down. I guess I bleed a lot, guys. (laughs) That's horrifying. But it it came, came down out of my ear, but it was very very bright red, and I was like, hmm, this is not like what it was with Jonas, where it was I'm that, extremely you know, concerned for you. Black. <laughs> yeah, you said that really casually. Yeah. I injure easily. I don't have okay. ear bleeds. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of those ear bleeds. It's just normal. Okay. Um, that's an interesting idea. I, I feel like that blood on face thing, though, means something. Black blood, whatever we want to say that is i feel like it's tar but whatever yeah when i went back to look at Jonas looking at his his ear in that dream it was very dark it was it's weird and thick yeah jen you recently rewatched in episode one was it clear that it was michael yes okay so it probably wasn't helga oh no i don't think that at all but i would say the blood on face is a similar style (laughs) Mm, like symbolic purpose perhaps yeah so guys i found something online that i I think that we should steal in episode one when mikhail meets Jonas for the first time i believe mikhail turns to Jonas and says ultimate fist bump (laughs) and then they fist bump (laughs) and so on twitter i've just been doing that like hashtag ultimate fist bump (laughs) and so i think like this is like Connecting with our listeners, ultimate fist bump. We should do ultimate fist bump. (laughs) I like that. Well, ultimate fist bump, Phoebe, keep it lit. Yes, yes. And if anybody else, please, it's so exciting to get some (laughs) correspondence. So please feel free to to write in or let us know something. Again, please keeping it spoiler free, that is. Yes, please. Oh, yes. (laughs) Please, please. Up until our released episodes. Thank you. Please and thank you. All right, so... You've been listening for some amount of time, and this voice is Tommy. This is Josh. And I'm Jen. And we are in Season 2, Episode 2, Dark Matter. Very exciting that we are in Season 2, finally. And Josh and I have seen the show up through Season 2. Jen is watching for the first time and noticing everything that we didn't. (laughs) And we start every episode with Lit Takes. And that's where we talk about notable things that happen in the episode uh, sort of chronological a little bit, but mostly we just kind of focus on characters. And this episode opens up with Jonas in 2053. I was surprised by how much he seemed to have mastered a lot of very challenging Thank scientific you. processes. <laughs> yes. Both in terms of the God particle thing and also his ability to like hotwire a CD player. I will just say this to me, there's two things I want to note really quick. Um, First of all, I wrote in my notes multiple times, Jonas is very savvy. Like, where did this come from? Mm. We just didn't get to see it. But did you guys get, and I know I'm obsessed with this movie, so forgive me, Back (laughs) to the Future vibes at all in the beginning of this episode? No. I didn't. I mean, I can see maybe where you're coming from, but I didn't think of that now. Where am I coming from? Well, he just is flipping like big, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
movie, like things that I've only seen in movies in terms of like flipping power switches on and off. Yes. Like when Marty walks into like Doc's whatever. The other thing that I failed to mention that I feel like is important since we see Gretchen significantly in this episode, and obviously I'm partial to the dog characters, is Gretchen travel time. (laughs) Dog character. Singular. There may be another one. Who knows? Einstein travel time in Back to the Future. So it's very possible for dogs to travel time. Sorry, this was just a revelation in season one rewatch that I knew I had to say. And I didn't want to just text it to you guys and let it go. (laughs) So there we are. I had a revelation about Einstein the other day. That his name means one. No, just the name. (laughs) Oh, it means one stone. Oh. Yeah. Einstein. Didn't, well, because he says the man with the stone in this episode. Yeah. Oh. See? But a stein is also like a beer mug. I haven't mm. gotten that far in my lessons. <laughs> <laughs> they have been talking a lot about beer, but. <laughs> so he ends up succeeding. He's listening to a tape of Claudia. Seems diegetic, like it's actually playing with him. Do you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he figures out how to set the sensors or whatever to the correct organization to stabilize it, but then it runs out of gas. Very frustratingly. What do you guys think about his whole plan to steal gas? It's brave. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> it's the most obvious trap. What is this truck of apocalyptic soldiers? Why are they like, okay. I am not a post-apocalyptic soldier, but I would imagine (laughs) that if a random pop song started playing. Random? It felt very purposeful. (laughs) Well, purposeful in terms of the themes of the show. But I mean, from their perspective, just a pop song. Get to parties? Suspicious mind a little bit. Yeah. Are they the party police? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And (laughs) like they all leave and leave one dude at the truck. I, I don't know. It just felt like an obvious trap that Jonas set. I feel like for entertainment value, it was very well done. Yeah. And to be honest, all I could focus on was the color of his gas tank. It was yellow. I couldn't stop focusing on it either. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't even notice that. So I feel like we are getting these hints. So since Jen pointed out that his color is yellow, I can, every time that he has yellow on him, it feels like he's on the right path. Mm. So in the nuclear suit with the gas can, He's like getting closer to his true self, like what he should be doing. I really like that. I want to believe that's true. But then what does that say about older Jonas, the stranger who's never wearing yellow? But, okay, I have a theory about that, that I don't know if this is the right time to share it. But there's something, I know you said last time, Josh, that his mask was like a dirty yellow. Mm -hmm. I still think that. I do think that a little bit, actually. (laughs) But then I was thinking about how his 2053 garb kind of matches the strangers ensemble vibe. And I feel like there's like um, second edition Jonas. This is his new color. Like this is just going to work for him. And this means something still. But it's that. So everything he's wearing was yellow at one point. But now it's like an olive green. (laughs) And it's still significant. 
Hmm. That's an interesting idea. I wonder if his color changes. I wonder if there will be like an event Hmm. that changes his color, I mean. Hmm. Yeah. So in what was a very stressful scene that I don't understand the time of, the guard kind of grapevines over to where Jonas was hiding and points his gun, but Jonas is already like 50 feet away. How did he move that fast? (laughs) But whatever. (laughs) It's fine. Time is weird in this show. Yeah. (laughs) I'll accept it. So he he tries to go back, and then he gets caught by Elizabeth. That shot on her face, like, zoomed in, and we see her scars and, like, all their glory. I don't have anything to say about it besides it was a great shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of great shots, he is about to be hanged. Yeah, obviously it echoed the earlier French dudes. I don't know. What do yeah. you guys think about that hanging scene? It was. I went back to his father, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely Oh, wow. I didn't even consider that, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was reminiscent of that, but what I was noticing most in the scene, and I don't know if we have a name for her yet, so I don't want to call her Scarface, but the girl with the... <laughs> <laughs> like, that Scarface is what you start with. <laughs> cool, so Scarface? <laughs> you know, does she have a it, name? No, she In the doesn't. credits, she's called Girl from the Future. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah but... So Scarface works better. Oh, yeah, geez. I like Scarface. Okay, Scarface. Do you remember in episode... One of season two, which I actually haven't watched in a while. She seemed really tough, emotionless. And in this scene with Jonas, and I don't know that they've had any other deeper connection. She seems very emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely picked up on that also. But why? I to have me, no it idea. Felt like she, to me, it almost felt like she had feelings for Jonas. But I that's what I was wondering. Why she would. That's yeah. I mean, that's the obvious place to go. I feel like, but we haven't been shown anything of their relationship at all. No, that's why it was confusing to me. And I know when we get to the end, it's maybe a little bit of an indication, but it was just interesting to see her transform and soften so significantly that it's noticeable. Yeah, I agree. And Elizabeth is a great shot. That's a very tough shot. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she nailed tough. it. There's something that I noticed earlier that I didn't mention, but there was a very noticeable, at least in 201, a very noticeable scar on the stranger's neck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want now to say know. anything. But yeah, <laughs> Oh, did you remember that, was... that he got hanged? Yeah, I did. Oh. Mm. That's but the tough thing about having seen it before is we never know what things to actually bring up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't remember everything and what I do remember. I'm not sure if it's right. <laughs> Soon we'll all be in the same world, and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if we will get more information about Scarface and Jonas. <laughs> it I feels feel unlikely. That. Yeah, I mean, they all have scars on their faces. The the apocalypse is very scar heavy. <laughs> Just this show is. That's true. Emotionally and literally. <laughs> Season two, episode two. Still don't know what happened to Waller's eye. <laughs> Volovach, <laughs> Volovach, twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's so emotional, and she's super emotional when she goes to get him in his like medieval cage. Yeah, <laughs> and his blood was very black, but I think infected. <laughs> oh God, <Ooh>. yes. <laughs> oh. Okay. Why did Elizabeth shoot him down? I, I- got to imagine. Sorry, go ahead, Jen. I was just going to say, I think if we're assuming 
Yeah, that she's Elizabeth. Are we feeling very confident in that conclusion? In the credits, it credits her as Elizabeth Doppler 2053. So Okay, I need to start watching the credits. I feel like I should stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've gone to IMDb, obviously, for helps, but I... You shouldn't do that. It's honestly, guys, I've ruined a few things, but I'm not going to say anything. There, There's a moment where I must... I must have concluded that she, however she survives the 2020 apocalypse, that there's something in that he was able to say that caught her. And she, for again, whatever reason, I have no predictions. I have no theories on this. Gave him some grace. Well, I can only imagine that she's remembering him from... That, when everything exactly. was good again. Yeah. And she doesn't want the apocalypse to happen either. So maybe just in the back of her mind, she was like, maybe you can fix this. Like maybe. Because yeah. I'm assuming she never time traveled. It appears that way. Yeah. Yeah. My thought was, we don't really know, but she's so in this cult of sick mundus creatus est that maybe she's thinking, maybe she, I don't know, had the notebook and she's like, oh. Jonas, because older Jonas passes is the is the one who creates the whole Sigmundus Creatus Est. So maybe he has to live, mm. if that makes any sense. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility as well. Yeah, shoot him in the lake too, <laughs> to stop him from talking. But it's like what he said still influenced her decision to shoot him down, unless that was what she intended all along. Just to scare him. I don't know. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Yeah, just, well, I, I don't know. The fact that her second in command was so upset that she spared him makes me think that that wasn't the plan all along. But she mentioned the prophecy and Jonas was talking about the prophecy and how it's not true. It's a lie. And it made me think of what we were talking about just right now. It made me think of maybe she's just started to believe it herself in the earlier episode Mikkel slash Michael writes in the suicide note that we believe a lie and make it our truth so that we can survive. And maybe that's what she's done here. And in Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, which most American high schoolers will read, there is a character who says, no man for any considerable period of time can wear one face to himself and one to the world without eventually becoming confused as to which is the true. And so maybe she's just forgotten which is the true face and what is real. And seeing actually young Jonas back yeah. has made her remember. Let's leave Jonas and we'll come back to him at the end and move on yeah. to the highlight for me of this episode, which is Mikkel's outfit. <laughs> yes. He's adorable. He is. Oh, my gosh. I, the sympathy that this show is making me feel for him is off so the charts. Intense. Yeah. Yes. Especially at the end of the episode and like, we're jumping around. We always jump around. But when we're watching older Jonas and Hannah look at him, like, just grab him, save him, please. Guys, I yeah. sobbed so hard both times. Oh. <laughs> both times. There's a few scenes, but that was a rough one. Yeah. So let's start right when he wakes up, because I listen to this show in headphones. I know Josh does. Jen, did you listen to this in headphones at all? No, I did not. 
Maybe you still noticed it with your computer speakers, but I encourage all of our listeners to, if you can, get a headphone situation right now because there's a really cool moment with the music. And Josh alluded to this before when older Jonas slash stranger was talking to Hannah and convincing her that he was Jonas, her son, where the music kind of got really out of sync and then synced up. In this case, the music playing while Mikkel is waking up and at some points talking to Inez, it cuts back and forth really, really quickly between left ear and right ear. And Mm. through the magic of post-production, we will put a sample of that here. And I don't know if you guys listen to it, but you can. It's up in the drive uh, with headphones. And it's just very uncomfortable. It is, it like made me feel physically ill almost. When did it happen? It happened a couple times. Once right when Mikkel woke up and we see the Goonies poster and the mm-hmm. sports guy. And <laughs> right in, tell me what sports guy that is. I didn't I didn't want Good to sports. do that research. And he's the, definitely a tennis player. <laughs> the next time that it happened was when he was talking to Inez and she was saying the past is the past and now is now. Mm, okay. Mm. I'll listen again. Which that whole conversation between Inez and Mikhail super informs why she made the choice that she did when she was old. Yeah. If that's her philosophy, then the past is the past. Even in her conversation with um, Jonas at the end of season one, where it's like, this is what it is and accept it, which I have no words. I'm just going to say. <laughs> well, and it's it's just related to all the conversations we've had before about yeah. Josh brought up recently in an episode. Is it possible for anybody to actually do anything but just accept the past for was what it is? Can they actually make a change? Because no one has been successful so far. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go back, speaking of this, to the opening title sequence when we see 22nd of June, 1987. I love how it said five days until the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Because everything is, yeah. Everything is now. Everything is now. Mm. Which puts the lie to what Inez just says there, right? Yeah. yeah. There is no such concept as past. Everything is now. And my brain hurts all the time trying to <laughs> process <laughs> all of this. Can we talk about Mikkel at school? Oh, that song that's playing is so cool, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll put a link to it in the description. It's called Being Boiled by the Human League. Mm. And it is an 80s song, but it's just not crazy well known. I love how he gets bumped by his mom and she's like, get out of the way. I know. Dork. She's, but birthday, it's her birthday. Right? <laughs> yeah. So she can act however she wants. I was literally like, he should have said happy birthday and see what happens. <laughs> how do you know that freak? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, the song actually has some pretty cool... Lyrics. What we hear is he says, listen to the voice of Buddha saying, stop your sericulture. Sericulture is the practice of raising silkworms to make silk, which is a thing that I learned because of this episode. (laughs) But then later the lyrics say, just because this kid's an orphan is no excuse for thoughtless slaying. Children, don't forget this torture. Just because you call her mother doesn't mean that she's your better. So good. Which is so mickle. Yeah. Yeah. I love how intentional these song choices are. We don't actually even hear those lyrics. 
I also love seeing the school in summer where the mm-hmm. leaves are all green instead of the nice autumnal colors that we usually see them in. It was just like, whoa, it's a different place. Yeah. I also just loved the little foreshadowing of Hannah building a relationship with Mikko. I know. The way that she lingers. And then yeah. Katarina's like, what are you even looking at? Come back. Katarina's so <laughs> terrible. But I feel sympathy for her because she still has that bruise on her eye. And I'm just like, oh, girl, what happened? I mean, yeah, we know well, what happened, but. We never came back well, to it, but it was her mom that yeah. beat her, apparently. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. She still has a bruise on her eye? I know. Okay. So I have a thought on that, but yes. She does. Because this is, what, a year seven later? months later? Okay. So my assumption is only she's continually beaten by her parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Must be. I actually didn't notice the bruise. I'll have to go back and look. Interesting. So this is just enough to make him just walk away from school. And my, again, <laughs> my heart broke for a ninth time for Mikkel in this episode. <laughs> and he just kind of is walking through the forest. And let's come back to Mikkel a little bit later and move on to Claudia, who kind of has the meatiest story, I would say, in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a move that very much reminded me of Peter and Charlotte, when they're getting ready to leave and Egon is like, I have something to tell you. And then she's like, what, God? And then he's like, never mind. It kind of reminded me of Peter uh, very early in season one, when he's like, I have to tell you something, which now we know is related to Mads and his yeah. body being found in the bunker. Mm-hmm. Then we had no idea. And her blowing him off. That little echo just was interesting to me. And then Regina streams out of her room, a, com- a changed woman. She is owning her straight hair. <laughs> and it is like tortured to look that good. It's clear, <laughs> but it looks great. And she's, she looks great. And later, mm-hmm. Alexander, he looks great. They're just great 80s teens. Yes. They fit the bill well. Tommy, I think you're bearing the lead here. <laughs> this whole scene, we're being rickrolled. Did you realize that? I did notice that. I was going to say that. <laughs> and the implications of this song, very interesting for the episode. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. But we can assume by the rest of this episode, old Claudia says, young Claudia, you don't have much time. Mm. And we also know that who else doesn't have much time is Egon. But we'll get to that later as well. But I just love that we were Rickrolled. <laughs> yeah, I actually noticed that as well. I was going to say that. I'm glad that you did because I completely forgot. <laughs> Jen, you look confused. I am confused. Are you not familiar with Rickrolling? No, I am. I'm sorry. I'm confused. Oh, is it the Egon line? Yeah. Uh, it's just, we find out in this episode that we, well, I, it seems like he has cancer. Yeah, he said right? it spread. Whoa, I missed that. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's on the telephone. He's like, oh, to the hospital this Friday? Yes, I have somebody. And he before that, he says, oh, it spread then? He's definitely oh, dying. Frick. Okay, I didn't notice that. Which reminded me a lot of Regina hiding it from... Alexander for a while. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Tis important <laughs> <laughs> for many reasons. So Claudia gets to work and is told that someone is waiting for her. It says that it's her dog. <sighs> and everything's out in the open. Old Claudia visits young Claudia. 
And we get some really fun time travel antics where she tells her exactly what's going to happen. And we get the grossest, like, 80s examples of (laughs) gross office culture. (laughs) It was bothersome. I literally, I saw it happen. I was just like, like, out loud. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) And the question that I just have here is, is this a paradox? Like, does she only know that that happened because old version of her told her that it would happen? So she looked. But paradoxes seem to exist just fine in this universe. Yeah. I Well, there's two scenes that bring this up for me, but that was one of them where I was seriously questioning whether the age that she is in 1986 ever sees that happen or if it's just because, yeah, it really bothers me and I don't have an answer for it. Well, and it goes back to everything that we've been talking about, right? I mean, we referenced the Matrix earlier and there's a moment where the Oracle is talking to Neo and she says, don't worry about the vase. And then he turns to look and ends up knocking it over. And she says, what'll really bake your noodle later is, would you have knocked the vase over if I hadn't said anything? I haven't watched The Matrix. <laughs> oh, it's really good. I thought you were going to say, oh, it's pretty okay. <laughs> no, I don't want to, I don't want to josh it. I don't want to oversell it. So <laughs> plus I used to be a very big shamer of people for not having seen something. Used to be. <laughs> I'm recovering (laughs) and I think that much more I'm trying to adopt this attitude of like, oh my gosh, wow. Come, come with me. Join, join me. Much like people watching this show. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I don't know. It's, we watch so many people grapple with the reality of time travel in this show. And as much as like, it makes total sense for their characters Part of me is like, come on, guys, get it already. Time travel exists. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Which obviously isn't fair. <laughs> but no. No. <laughs> no, no, no. If I were a character in the show or the story, I know how I would feel. So. So she ends up believing her, says who she is. And apparently not only can dogs time travel, but also they are not affected by time in any way, which just makes dogs even sweeter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And so we learn actually how Gretchen traveled, right? Claudia was waiting yeah. for yeah. it to happen. And for Gretchen, then, the trip took no time at all, right? She disappears in 1953 and reappears right in Claudia's hands, which is neat. And there's no image of, like, a dog turning that handle and walking through the wind. <laughs> you did ask that question earlier. Can we just note how sweet it was, the way Gretchen rested in old Claudia's, like, yeah. embrace? I just loved that so much. I loved that. And I loved the visual differences between young Claudia and old Claudia. Oh, yeah, that was good. Both in terms of like color and just how put together older or younger Claudia was. And mm-hmm. old Claudia was just like letting it all hang out, leaning way back in the couch versus sitting up prim and proper right at yeah. the edge. Mm-hmm. Young Claudia's outfit was beautiful. Perfect 80s. Those heels with the um, sling back. Loved it. And those so shoulder great. pads? So great. <laughs> those should come back. I wish oh, for God. those to come back. If I Hell could put no. <laughs> one thing into the world fashion-wise, it would be please bring back shoulder pads. You think that's attractive <laughs> on a woman? Please. <laughs> no, I didn't say okay. that. Tommy was talking about for himself. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've always been self-conscious about my shoulders. Josh has brought it into the world now. Yep. I'm sensitive about that. <laughs> Yeah, so that whole conversation was was very interesting. And then 
I just keep thinking about the line where she says, you don't have much time left with Regina. Yeah. And how the voice that we hear on the tapes that Jonas listens to is definitely 1986 Claudia's voice. Yeah. And so she gets the time machine at the end of this episode, obviously, in this really cool time travel function where it's buried and then she, that doubling is so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The grid that she has and she buries in 1953 and we just see it happen at the same exact time. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) So good. But does she use the time machine like right away? I don't know. This might be a good time to bring up something that I was going to talk about for Lit 101, but we might want to talk about it now or maybe just kind of put it in, put it out there. But I've made yet another document and I wanted to keep track of like basically when in the world is the time machine. Oh, that's super smart. Because we can figure out the, like, where is it? If there, I mean, there may be multiple, but I'm kind of assuming that there's one. Well, we know there's one, but we see them in two places. Well, and it seems like we've seen the beginning and the ending of it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys want to, in the doc, I've actually made, it's called 202 Time Machine Life Cycle. And listeners can actually go and find this as well. So I have a, it's, in order of the life cycle of the time machine, and then next to it are the dates. And then there's question marks where there's missing information. And then I have highlighted green where it's a hypothesis. So we know that in 1953, HG receives the phone and the blueprints at that time and starts building it. But the beginning and the ending of the machine is when he receives the broken down machine from Jonas. That is the end of that life cycle. Because, I don't know if you guys noticed this, my wife pointed this out to me, that when he's like, hey, you need to fix this, he doesn't fix it. He just makes finishes the new one, and then mm-hmm. Jonas takes the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first person to get the time machine is Jonas. And then from that, he makes the Triketra, and then we see him in this episode take Hanna to 86. We don't know what happens after that. But at some point, as you mentioned, Claudia is going to receive this. And in 87, old Claudia travels back to 54 to bury it. And then now young Claudia has it in 87. And then at some point again, it comes back to the stranger or it stops working at some point, And that's when the stranger brings it back to Tanhouse. Yeah, there's a lot of middle ground that's missing in that. Yeah, and one of the questions that I have is that we, in 201, we were thinking maybe Noah has the time machine at some point because he has, like, that briefcase and Adam says, like, hey, go get the rest of the pages. And we've seen him in this, in the previous episode, he goes to see Bartosh in 2020. And then in this episode, he's in 87 with Mikhail at the caves. So he's definitely jumping. And so at some point he is getting the time machine as well. So I'm going to be keeping track of information that we know if it ever changes hands, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, the fact that old Claudia buries it in 53 and it arrives at 87 means that we've seen doublings of the same machine over and over and over again. Like, who knows how old the actual machine is yeah. that Jonas ends up giving back to Tanhouse. It could be mm. hundreds of years old. Yeah. 
That's really Very cool. True. I'm glad that you made this, actually. This is a really neat kind of timeline that you're building. I eventually want to make a the timeline of the Triketra booklet because we've known different people who have had it. We don't know who has it first. Peter still has it, Peter and Trump, but they don't have anything past that day. And the pages are missing. The 9th of November? I think it was the 12th, but I'm not positive. I'm sure people are yelling at us right now. I know the exact (laughs) date. Be kind to us. Okay, that's neat. (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you found that. That's really cool. Let's just finish up with Claudia because I feel like there's not like a big reveal and there's just really cool images. I love what it looked like of her digging in there with the the indoor lamps set up and Gretchen just sitting there. It was just a beautiful image of a woman and classic young Claudia who mm-hmm. decides not to get out of her work clothes at all. And so just so in much. those heels, in that jacket. Uh it felt very painterly, that image. It was so beautifully shot with the lamps out there. I like there. how warm the I lamp light was, too. Yeah. So very cool. Okay, so let's move to Charlotte's story and what she is dealing with in this episode. So she starts by being in her office staring at this Sigmundus Creatus S photo, which I was so glad of to have a really clear image of just to stare at myself. I don't know about you guys, but I paused on the screen (laughs) because Josh said that he recognized multiple people. And I got to tell you, he said persons, plural. What? There are only two. I was, I was staring at that photo so hard. Wait, there are two. Oh, Noah. And, and yes, we decided that together already, but who else? (laughs) I want to actually talk about that. You said that it was, what's her name? Agnes. Agnes. Agnes, yeah. yeah. What if it's Agnes's grandma? I don't believe that. Hmm. They're twins then, (laughs) which is not possible. I don't know. Time travel. (laughs) She time traveled. (laughs) That's actually an interesting idea. I would would be okay with that. I'm not accepting it. I just remember she had a grandma. Who lived in Winden. Yeah. And then something happened. I'm still not accepting it. (laughs) (laughs) By principle. So she's looking at it, and then she goes on to not Google and looks up (laughs) Sigmundus Kratos Est, which is exactly what I did, and it just made me feel like I was in the show for real. And Clausen comes in, and let me tell you guys. Clausen is a jerk. (laughs) Clausen is very rapidly becoming one of my favorite characters in the show. Yes! I was going to say that exact same thing. What is wrong with you guys? He's overtaken Voller. He's great. He's a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah, but I love every scene that he's in. Everything. I just watch him. I don't care about anyone else. What is he doing? What is? No. No. No, I don't like him. Like, I don't want to hang out with him. I get that. I know that. I just mean he does. He bothers me. I don't even oh like when he's, he's in it. Fascinating. Everything about him is so amazing. Like All I want to yes. do is punch him in the face. <laughs> Twice mm, in this episode. <laughs> I don't want to do that as much. But just him very aggressively proving why they should talk to Regina. And yeah. Charlotte, like, very obviously and conspicuously, like, oh, I was looking at this piece of paper. <laughs> It reminds me of like when students are looking at their phones and then they like put their phone down really quick and like open a book like, oh. and it's like, oh, I've, I've never even, what's a phone? I've never even seen phones. But she gets him to follow her and not dig into it more. So it was effective. 
But he does stare at it and he sees mutton chops and Noah, at least. Mutton chops. <laughs> is that? Well, yes. When we find out who mutton chops is, you guys are going to be surprised. Stop it. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> I am furious with you. So they go to Regina's and have the weirdest interview I've ever seen. And so just awkward. again, like in the uh, Claudia, Claudia situation, the differences in the way that everybody is sitting is so great to me. Mm-hmm. He's just so overly comfortable, creepily so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got to talk about the shush. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's more, isn't there? <laughs> and Charlotte's just absolute incredulous, shocked look on her face when he does that. Oh, Point man. one, when I wanted to punch him in the face. That's just A. Yes. Beautiful scene. Just a beautiful scene. Oh, but even better. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> well, and I know that you guys want to talk about this whole interaction between Regina and Alexander later. So I, I'll hold my tongue on that. But I do want to talk about the transition from young Regina to old Regina, who's gone mm-hmm. through cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. And that change was like a physical blow, mm. uh, especially because we've seen Regina from this very like young, mousy, awkward stage into taking control of herself, confident into now like beaten down by life. Mm. And I just, that, that evolution of her character that we get is, oh man, just so affecting. But mm. I also loved how, I mean, not loved, but, admired her as a character for how I feel like she was wearing lipstick in this scene and her headscarf was just gorgeous. And I'm like, oh man, she is attempting to do her very best in this moment. And it just sat really heavily with me. Absolutely. And she's not a weak character even in this interview. No, no, not at all. She holds her own. Yeah. So there's the box, yada, yada, yada. Let's get back to Klausen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She Whoa. finds the box. She finds yeah, the box yeah, and it has all the stuff leaves. from the, and she mm-hmm. freaks out. Whatever happened. Oh man, Charlotte and Peter, I was so happy when they hugged for real. Oh my and God. Charlotte needed him. <laughs> Again, what I cried. <laughs> okay, back to Klausen. Okay. So when, way, oh my God, your obsession is seriously irritating me. The, when she leaves, she's like, I don't know, get a taxi. He's like, I love that. <sighs> he just like lifts up his hands and then he stands up and like purposefully walks up closer to her. Sits down slowly and then says, like, tell me what he looked like. <laughs> I want to punch him in the face. But I also feel like in that scene, I Clausen feels so much more significant to this thread than he originally felt to me. Like there's well, something else going on. Clausen feels very dangerous to me in this episode mm-hmm. in the sense that like he is going to be a rabid bloodhound seeking out the truth that everybody is trying to hide. So this kind of relates a little bit to my Lit 101 about secrets. Mm. Because this episode, I think thematically, is I can't not talk about secrets. And he must either think that everyone in this town is either really stupid or the most suspicious group of people hiding things that he has to unravel. Like, this is his magnum opus as a detective. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on right now and then put on another tinfoil hat on top of that and make a prediction about Clausen. We talked about how 
there's dualism and there's, you know, the light side versus the good side. But what if there's a third side? What there if is Klausen side. is that third side? Yes. yes. Traveling time? What, I mean, maybe. Or maybe he's just another force trying to impact the timeline. I can buy this. Well, even in D&D, there's evil, neutral, and good. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> don't ew me. <laughs> don't yuck our yum. Don't include that in the podcast. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Ugh. That is the grossest thing I've ever heard you say. I enjoyed it. Keep it in there. <laughs> but you. Yes. Gross. <laughs> Can we note? Sorry, I'm going to say in that um, Regina Clausen conversation, when she says... I forget how she words it exactly, but like we don't have anything to do with the Nielsen's, yeah. Oh, she's. I have no relation to the Nielsen's. But I'm also like, do you know who your son's dating or was dating at least? Hmm. Is that not a connection? And is he not friends with Magnus? Kind of. Is that not a connection? Yeah. I don't that's know. A, that's a fair know. point. I mean, either that speaks to something that she's hiding which feels less likely than she just literally doesn't know anything about her son. I think it's more she doesn't know anything about her son, which speaks something to her character. And all these parents, really. Well, and, I mean, parents pass on their failings to their children, which you guys are going to talk about, I'm sure. (laughs) But that's, I mean, Claudia was a terrible mother. Regina is a terrible mother. Ulrich had a terrible father. Ulrich is a terrible father. Yeah. And it's just this cycle <laughs> that no, none of them want to be a part of. But they are. But they are. And Regina's yeah. terrified of that in her conversation with Alexander. Right. I'll continue to hold my tongue because I know that Josh is bursting right now. <laughs> Coming out. Good visual cue for our listeners. So. That was just for you. Thank you. <laughs> it's a secret you guys Stop remember now. now. <laughs> I think another thing that I appreciate about Klausen in this scene is how he is so focused on Alexander and the weirdness surrounding Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Can, I am too. <laughs> all that is sitting in the back of my mind when it comes to Alexander is that scene with a passport and the fact that his last name was listed as Wald, And I cannot let that go. Because it just makes me think that these four families are connected to where they're not really four families. It is way just more. one big, weird, incestuous yes. group. I 100% think that's true. I wouldn't have even noticed that if you didn't point it out. But everything in this show is so purposeful that I could definitely see that as being some very clear foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So someone in the Nielsen family gets together with someone in the Conwald family. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but... It just makes me think that we already can pick up on all these weird connections, but it gets more connected is all I can imagine. Yeah, because I just, it's not just Jonas. He's not the only one who's weird. He's so focused on like, I'm the one who's wrong, but there's no way that it's just him. I don't believe that. Yeah. The only other significant thing with Charlotte here before she runs into Peter's arms in a very satisfying marital (laughs) hug is she's freaking out because the stranger had copies of her grandfather's book who everybody always said was crazy. And 
then she drops this crazy bomb about how she never knew who her real mother and father were. Mm-hmm. And this is clearly, I don't know, very deeply affecting for her. Yeah. Like she's shaking when she's holding the copy of her yeah. gra- her grandfather's book. Yeah. It's a impacting scene. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you guys, do we have any other information about her parents at this point? Mm, no, I don't think, Josh. No. But I have to believe, based on that image, that she is in some way connected to Noah. Hmm. Because of the picture? Oh, the picture that was in... Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's her father, because that picture is dated as 1921. But... I mean, Noah gets all over town. Right. (laughs) Oh, Noah. But yes... I feel like there's something. could be everyone's dad. (laughs) I believe that. That's possible at this point in time. I wouldn't have said so before. I'm waiting for the Scooby-Doo reveal. (laughs) So let's talk about Magnus and Francisca. I'm going to talk about them a little bit more in my 101. But what did you guys think about that scene? We get answers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her connection and exactly how she's getting that money. Yes. Yeah. I want to bring up two things. (laughs) One... The book that Elizabeth is looking at. Is from the grandfather's shop. Yes. Yeah. She took that home. But in rewatching season one, what I think was interesting that I just kind of scribbled down was, if you remember back to episode one, Francisca is giving an oral report in front of her class about black black holes. holes. Yeah. And then the other thing I... So again, just connection of what and why that's happening. But the other thing that this scene made me think, and this is very much a Back to the Future reference again, because I can't help myself. This is kind of going along the lines of in Back to the Future Part 2, when there's an alternate 1985. Oh, come on. Are you asking as a question? I am. Okay, I just want to make sure the year is right, because now I'm thinking 86 and 84. Okay. It's Um, 1985, yes. Thank you. So alternate 1985, when Magnus confronts her and he's like, okay, obviously I went to the love trailer. I know what you've been doing. Y'all remember the scene when he finds her bird necklace and there's like a used condom and it's a really gross environment. So I feel like his assumption that she's prostituting herself is kind of fair, that there's dots connected, that it doesn't seem like an egregious accusation. But there was I mean, he doesn't say anything except for, from her perspective, quoting. he doesn't say anything except about what he learned from, what was her name? Bernadette? Bernadette, Bernadette yeah. So he, yes. doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, I found this necklace at a disease bed with condoms around it. He says, right. he, he gives off the price list. Right. <laughs> exactly what he heard. And... She obviously comes back with her, like, reasonable, this is what my dad used to provide for the services he received, and now he is no longer going, which we kind of know from season one. And then she's now the provider. And we know, again, their conversation previously is, I want money to get out of Wyndon. Like, that's her goal. But there was something to me. There are two things that stick out to me. One is Martha... In season one, episode one, 
talks about deja vu. Mm -hmm. That scene stuck out to me as weird upon rewatching for the second time, mind you, or third or fourth, however many times I've watched episode one. And then here with Francisca, I was kind of like, I feel like there's, I don't know, there's two worlds that are happening and that there's a world where Francisca prostituted herself at one point and now we're in a world where she doesn't. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. and I get that I might have a weird bias towards Magnus, but I feel like he's <laughs> right. <laughs> and she. In an alternate dimension, <laughs> you were, trust me. Yes. I don't know. Like this, it's just not sitting well with me. And I feel like there's, there's weird stuff going on that I'm not going to understand until we finish season three, but whatever. Hopefully. I would say that I agree with you in so far as I don't believe that Francisca is telling him the whole truth. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it wasn't prostitution. Maybe she just had sex with some dude on the Not bed. Not for money. <laughs> um, teens. Oh, yeah, teens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My, my teenage life was so far removed from any of this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't disagree with you. I want to talk more about Francisca and her whole worldview in Lit 101. Mm-hmm. We've already mentioned that they go back to 1986, and she shows him Mikkel. And let's just actually use this time to talk about how great of a surrogate mother Inez is. Oh my gosh. And that whole interaction with Mikkel and the Toast Hawaii. That scene was so heartwarming. I feel like for being stuck in a time when you know you do not belong and you remember everything about where you came from. She is just the loveliest to have and to know, like, you're still loved and cared for. Maybe, I don't want to say this, but possibly better <laughs> than you were. Only because of what we've seen. I don't know what happened. I mean, and Inez that- is coming off as an absolute saint yes. in this. So let's rewind a little bit and talk about Mikkel talking to Noah. Eating an apple. Symbolically, I would... I. I have to say that apples obviously represent everything that they represent, right? Yes. Sure. Are we agreed that I have to do yes, this? Yes, yes. The apple it. that Adam and Eve eat, yes. and Noah is eating it, and obviously he's putting himself in the place of God throughout this conversation because Mikhail says, hey, I recognize you. What if God doesn't know what he's doing? What if he makes mistakes? And Noah says, God doesn't ever make mistakes. And it clearly sounded to me instead of saying god doesn't make mistakes i listened to that and heard i never make a mistake yeah what was weird to me is i'm thinking about what he said to helg not too long ago of like there is no god like this is the reality that we live in but i'm also thinking mickle is still a child so maybe this is how you would speak to him i think it's all wrapped up in noah's narcissistic view of himself as god Yeah. I have two thoughts about this scene. Number one, if you ever see anyone eating an apple with a knife like that, they are the bad guy. Yes. How dare you? Have you seen with knives like that? Have you seen Sleepless in Seattle? I'm gonna bring the female perspective right here. That's a really good (laughs) counterpoint. Thank you. As a three sister haver, I have seen Sleepless (laughs) in Seattle. In fact, actually, my father eats apples that way, <laughs> and he's the nicest person. And it's not an evil way to eat apples. Okay, it's well, this is just more evidence that you did the Tri-Ketra notebook, Josh. 
<laughs> also, Noah says that he was there because he likes to be there. Mm-mm. But I the just... place he committed murder first. Yeah. Why else is he in the eighties? Because in the previous episode he was in two thousand twenty. Why is he in eighty seven now? What is his purpose there? Is it to have this meeting? To prevent him from seeing Hannah and older Jonas come through the cave. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's got to be the answer. Even though we think what we think about Noah at this point, and Noah feels very evil, there was something about his interaction with Mikkel that even though I could say, yeah, you're faking it, you're lying, you're just saying what he needs to hear, there was something and I'm going to go back to my intuition that didn't steer me wrong with Peter, that there's something that with Noah, I feel like, especially thinking back to season one episode or season two, episode one, when he talks to his younger self, I feel like there's something with Noah that makes me say, you're not 100% pure evil. Something happened to you (laughs) that made you this way obviously that's true for most people but there's something that makes me step back and say I just don't think you're as purely evil as I thought before and I'm gonna hold on to that and I'm gonna say maybe something will prove me right down the line (laughs) well the fact that Adam exists to me already brought him down a peg in his evilness yeah and that he is not the full force he's not the full plan he is just another the second rung <laughs> cog yeah well, he thinks he said he makes that speech earlier to bartosh saying that mm, so many people are pawns and they don't think that they are yeah maybe he is also a pawn it just is so it fits so well and i know jen you haven't seen this but with the darth vader palpatine <laughs> relationship yeah. where he might turn to good at some point as well you should watch Star Wars at some point. Lit after Star Wars is our next. <laughs> <laughs> Jen just decided. Oh, God. <laughs> so during this conversation with Noah, something that kept screaming out to me, too. First of all, besides Mikkel running desperately to the caves when he hears or feels something that is time travel Beyond punch. that, I couldn't help but think that everything that Noah was saying was layered. Right. So on the one hand, you have the very literal description of, I wouldn't go in there. It's a maze. Mm-hmm. Some people have never come out again. As mm-hmm. like, yes, on the just the level that it is a cave and spelunking is very dangerous. But then also on the level of like going in there also means traveling in time. It's a maze traveling in time. I wouldn't go in there. Some people have never returned as like a veiled threat yeah. about time travel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good point. Because. We find out other characters who don't get to return. Mm-hmm. Which is a great transition to Egon. Yeah. I had a weird shift with Egon in this episode. I kind of liked him. I was like, Aww. I like you. <laughs> well, and I was trying to unpack why. And I think that he becomes a much more sympathetic character. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When he's talking to Cloudy in that first scene, yes. he's just, <sighs> like he's just breathing really hard throughout this entire episode. Yeah. And when he's alone in his little sad apartment. Oh, man. Especially after seeing him in, like, the glory of his original house. Yeah. Yeah. Well. 
I mean, it was a big house. It was a big house. That's all I think I can we can attribute to that. I just mean going from that house that he used to live in to the house to, that he currently yes, lives in. Yes, sure. And when he's with his daughter and granddaughter, he's like, I could do this more. I can help out more. Mm-hmm. Like he's reaching out. And then when he's on the phone later finding out about his cancer, he's like, no, I have people. It's like you don't. Sort of. Though. Yeah, you really don't. Oh. Well, and it just, it's too late, right? And so I assume that Claudia is going to try to reach out to Regina after this as well, but it's too late. Like you tried too late. You've already made that bed with Regina. Did older Claudia say at one point that she could help Regina before it's too late? She may live. That's what she said. That's what she said. Okay. Thank you. If everything goes well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that I love about Egon and makes me like him even more is his sick vest it has just has so many pockets i want that vest oh dear you could put so many things in there just like secrets everywhere you're such a dork yeah that's peak dork yeah i did not expect you to say that okay yes it's like cargo pants on your chest ew oh that's real bad, Josh. I'm not going to let you that do that. That is the worst marketing campaign that I could imagine for a vest. <laughs> like cargo pants on your chest. <laughs> that was so Nick Think about the options. <laughs> so the thing that I noticed a lot, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when he sees his 1986 police notebook after he learns that he has metastasized cancer, I assume, he says, why not through the forest? When yeah. previously, the subtitles said, why not Forest Road? And I googled the translation, and it does mean Forest Road. It means Forest Path. I don't know if that's particularly different, but I think that maybe just a meaning thing. I don't know. That just stuck out to me, but it ended up being just kind of nothing. So mm. he goes and talks to Helga, who is just furiously making his acorn men. Oh. <laughs> it's hard not to have sympathy for Helga. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. My heart broke. And it's interesting that he doesn't go back to Noah here. He goes yeah. all the way back to Ulrich. Where he said he could change. He said he could change things. He said he could change everything. He can change the past and the future. The man with the stone. But no one can change it. No one. Not even the white devil. Mm. And, and Egon was just like, woo white yeah. devil, Satanism. <laughs> Satanism, yeah. Red flag. Well, and he said, wait, you said that as a child. Like, why are yeah. you bringing the man with the stone up? That was 30 years ago. And then Helga begins, tick tock, tick tock, mm-hmm. tick tock. I can't even imagine the mental state that he is in. Ugh. Even though I know we've talked about Helga at length before, and yes, he participated in these endeavors with Noah, I still feel like there's something so innocent and childlike about Helga, and whether that... The catalyst for that was when Ulrich took a stone to him or whether it happened along the way. And the other thing is I didn't even really consider this until you guys talked about it and brought it up and made me not just hate his mom. But part of me wonders if Noah orchestrated an assault or an affair or something to where the literal existence of Helga is just to be this... Yeah. Beast of burden. Yes. I so believe that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Which is, oh man, talk about being a part of a puzzle you can neither understand nor influence. And if Noah orchestrated that, 
could he have also, like we were kind of mentioning, orchestrated the Helg having Peter? Like, could Ooh. all of this just be orchestrated children? Ooh. Everything was orchestrated. That makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> well, orchestrate everything has that kind of smack of orchestration, right? Because everybody so far, even Claudia, who seems to be on the other side, is saying some things must happen if they, as they have always happened. So yeah. they... Like, is her getting Mads's body where it needs to be discovered? Does that make it orchestrated? Or is that just the way it had to happen? But why? I know. Well, and that's the whole thing is why, what are these flex points that seem to be the moment where you can actually make change versus these things that are fixed? Yeah. Which makes me think of Doctor Who. I don't know if you guys watch Doctor Who at all, but he talks a lot about times that are fixed points versus times that can change. Yeah. Ugh, it's another thing I don't watch. <laughs> After he talks to Helg, Egon starts thinking about the man he arrested in 1953. Mm. Did Ulrich, Josh, you said you didn't think Ulrich would ever break. Do you think he never broke to the point where he never revealed his name? Yeah, I guess so. He's yeah. K-53. <laughs> he's de commissar yeah i just i don't know why he would do that if it were me wouldn't you try to be like okay here's what's going to happen especially as you get closer to the 80s where you can really remember things but egon feels so unreasonable towards him i feel like that would never have been effective but egon clearly stopped paying attention very shortly after they arrested him he didn't even know that he was sent to the mental hospital. True, But do we know how long he was there? He who? Ulrich. I mean, he said he must have been there about 34 years. Oh, did he? Okay. So pretty soon yeah. after he was arrested. Okay. To me, it almost felt like Ulrich has accepted this as his penance. Mm-hmm. Well, because he does say everybody gets what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. That felt that way to me, too. Okay, I didn't look at the credits, but this older Ulrich was casted so well to me. Oh, my. You're Ulrich. Super believable as an Ulrich, absolutely. And I had a very, like, Tommy-like reaction when I saw this older Ulrich, because I literally stood up and said, oh, my gosh, when the scene unfolded. And all I can say is I hope, I pray... I don't literally pray, but I hope that I will see an Ulrich Mickle connection soon. Oh. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> I hope that one day I have a voice as cool as old. Oh Ulrich. my gosh, so good. It is amazing. <laughs> he should narrate books. <laughs> Well, and yeah. again, we get my only aim is to take many lives. <laughs> the more, the better I feel. I love how, what Egon says right when he comes up to me. He's like, excuse me, could I take some of your time? <laughs> I mean, and Ulrich is just as dismissive as ever. Mm. Yeah. Of him. And just, it means you still don't get it. You're just a moron. We also get that he tells Egon, he's like, oh, I remember your death. It was in the paper. Uh, it's like, you don't have much time left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's so weird. I love that he's playing chess and just the symbolism of chess. Right? Light, dark, pawns, Mm -hmm. etc. Jen, you recently rewatched season one. 
In the original 1986 interaction between Ulrich and Egon, do you remember if Ulrich sniffs Egon like that? I do not. I thought he did. Because that, right before he said the line from the song, seemed very much purposeful to me. Mm. I thought that that's what happens when Egon is in his room. He does that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I I think he does that. That would make sense. And again, like I want to say, Egon, come on, put the pieces together. But it, like, it's time travel. Obviously, he's not yeah. going to put those pieces together. I'm not going to judge as severely as I was as a initial viewer. <laughs> so hopefully, we get more interaction between them, and we get a lot more of old Ulrich because I oh, desperately I need more. <laughs> yes, so spinoff much more. show. <laughs> K53 is what it would be called. I would watch that. <laughs> Thirty-three years of seasons. <laughs> All right, so we get this final kind of montage right before we get the very end of the episode. And we got a lot of cool, you know, mirror images. And we get old Ulrich and Egon kind of both looking out a window and thinking. And we see Mikkel, after that wonderful hug to Inez, (laughs) uh, dancing and and eating toast Hawaii (laughs) with her as Hannah bursts into tears and older Jonas hugs her. Oh, God. And the song that is playing is just a neat song. It's called Thunder by mm-hmm. RYX, which is neat. Mm-hmm. I'll have a link in the description if you want to listen to it. And then we get back to Jonas in 2053 and Scarface. <laughs> Can we call our future girl? <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> sure. So Jonas is with future girl and he is just like, yeah, I'm going to go in there. It doesn't matter if I die here or in there. It doesn't matter because I just want to get back and I want to stop the apocalypse. What do you think happens after the episode ends? When does he go? (laughs) Good question. Because we know he doesn't die unless something changed, which I I can't imagine that happening. I feel like he's not going to be where he wants to be or where he expects to be. Yeah, I'm expecting it's not. A 33-year jump. Yeah. Just because he's doomed for <laughs> trial and tribulation. I don't know why. Poor Jonas. My heart goes out to him. There's 33 years of unanswered time between Jonas and the stranger. And it's frustrating to me that I know that we're not going to get all of that. I want to know. They need to make like a comic book series that answers these questions <laughs> or something. I will say, before the stranger looked younger, he looked much older in this episode. I believed that he was near his 50s. Okay, I'm going to be real honest, because I looked him up just as an actor, and he is legitimately 50. So he wow. looks really good, though. I'm going to give him He's props. He's a good 50. He's very Especially attractive. Especially if you're going through the you know future apocalypse. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Neck scars. He wears it well. All right, well, now we move on to Lit 101. Lit 101 is where the very nice arpeggio plays, and we go into (laughs) German school together, where your three English-speaking teachers talk to you about (laughs) the symbols, allusions, connections to other texts, and generally all those things you might have remember from your English class. And each of us is going to talk about a thing that we think was really significant in this episode, thematically or connection to another text, something like that. So, Josh, you are 
chomping at the bit to yes. talk about the play that Regina references when she's talking to Alexander on the log. So excited. I think before we even get to that, just in general, that whole scene, what are your, well, maybe just Tommy, because he doesn't know what the, <laughs> the, the book is. What were your impressions of that scene? Just them being all playful. I mean, they were sitting real weird. It didn't even seem comfortable, if I'm no. honest, but it seemed like a very teenager-y, like a very love thing. yes. And I love their whole conversation and how Alexandra was kind of like stroking her scars when she's talking about her. Her mother doesn't mm. love her and never said, I love you. And he just says, I love you. And that little moment, it was so cheesy. It was and a like little bit so, barf, yeah. But it was also yeah. just like, this is what a teenager would do. Right. Like, this is what I would have done as a teenager. I would love, I would have loved, this is terrible. I would have loved for a girl to tell me that her mom never said I loved you so that I could say I love you right then. Like, it's perfect. Ew. <laughs> I'm not saying it's great, Jen. <laughs> I had a very similar reaction on my first watch through of that. And then I did more research on this book that she's talking about that they're reading in school that she asked, do you believe in ghosts? And he's like, eh, maybe. <laughs> and she goes into how the book is talking about how we are so influenced by the ghosts of our parents. And it didn't make it clear, but I just started just taking some keywords like ghosts book and like German, that sort of like thing. And I came across a play called Ghosts by Henrik Ibsen. And I've read, I was like, oh, I know Ibsen. I've read him before in college days. And I started looking the book up and I'm like, oh, this for sure is it. And the reasons will become pretty obvious. Now, the themes of this play have a lot to do with dark versus light. It takes place in a single night. It gets darker throughout the night, and there's light symbolism throughout. And the light definitely seems to symbolize truth, whereas the darkness seems to symbolize immorality. But also, the truth is has a tinge of madness to it in the story. And morality is discussed at great length. But one of the main characters, one of the five characters in this story, is named Regina. <laughs> and... Regina is a very important character in this play. Um, and I'm going to get into four of the five characters. She works for Mrs. Alving, who is the head of this household. And at the beginning of the play, I just started the play because it's like seeing if this was it. She has a strange conversation with this Engstrand character who's a carpenter. And he's like, you should come live with me. And it seemed really weird. But then as they were discussing, I realized, oh, this is her father. She is a maid in this household, but there's a carpenter working there, but it's her father. He's like, you should come live with me. I'm planning to make this house. And there's an implication that she could come work for him. Like in like prostitution is implied here, which was hmm. strange to me because I was like, wait, you're calling her my girl and you're her father. That's strange. As the play goes on, spoiler alert, you find out that this is actually not her father. <laughs> there's a lot going on in the story. <laughs> You find out that Regina, her real father, used to be the head of the household, Mr. Alving, who is now deceased. In this play, before everything has taken place, Mr. Alving has an affair with the previous maid, 
sends her off with her child and that his child is raised in another place. But then Regina comes back to be the second maid after this other maid. So that just brings into the whole consideration of like, who is Regina's father in this play and also in (laughs) this show, because we do not know. We have no idea who Regina's father is. And it's weird that she's talking to her father in this very strange way. Another character in this is Oswald, who is the son of Mrs. Alving. And he has a painter who's come home recently. And he just recently found out in this play that he has a disease. And the people say that the disease came from his father. And they say the sins of the father have passed on to you. And he's like, no, but I know my father was an honorable man. So it's my own sins. But then mom reveals, yes, actually he was, he did have a lot of issues. And he then, this Oswald, mimics a the same scene that happened previous in this timeline, where he almost tries to seduce Regina, unknowingly his half-sister. Incest. <laughs> Another case of incest. Even in the play, con- the, the mother is even considering, wait, should they get married? And the pastor says, like, merciful heavens, would you let them marry? Anything so dreadful. And then she says, do you really think unheard of? Frankly, Pastor Manders, do you suppose that throughout the country there are not plenty of married couples as closely akin as they? Ew. <laughs> yeah. Now, we get to the whole ghost s- situation and Mrs. Alving has a, a great speech where she talks about ghosts. So it's, it's the title of the play. But she sees this situation where her son and her previous husband's daughter were kind of in the kitchen. Like there was there was some, some like kissing going on or something. She yells out ghosts. <laughs> and later she says to the pastor, ghosts, when I heard Regina and Oswald in there, it was as though ghosts rose up before me. But I almost think we are all of us ghosts, Pastor Manders. It is not only what we have inherited from our father and mother that walks in us. It is all sorts of dead ideas and lifeless old beliefs and so forth. They have no vitality, but they cling to us all the same. And we cannot shake them off. Whenever I take up a newspaper, I I seem to see ghosts gliding between the lines. There must be ghosts all the country over, as thick as the sands of the sea. And then we are, one and all, so pitiful afraid of the light. And I am fighting my battle with ghosts, both within me and without. And did you guys see what our next episode title is? Yes. <laughs> ghosts. Ghosts. Yeah. It's interesting because ghosts and horror stories are always this physical manifestation of the way that the past continues to affect the future. Right? So symbolically, ghosts aren't real. Right, in the real world. Do you agree with that? (laughs) I'm going to just throw out the I don't know hands. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But ghosts, symbolically, are just that, a physical manifestation of that principle that we all are aware of. It's a really cool idea that ghosts live on in us. We are ghosts. We are comprised of things that are dead as well. That's neat. This also brought up, and I'm taking out the tinfoil hat, I now, the question of Regina's father is now a big question, an important question in my mind. Yes, I agree. I have two theories, well, not two theories, but in this scene in Dark, 
we have Regina talking to Alexander, and he's like, you don't know my mother. And she's like, you know, you have some good qualities. And she's like, you have no idea. And he's like, oh. Mm. Are you suggesting that Alexander might be her father? That's okay. a possibility. I'm not going to lie. For a split second, I wonder that too. <laughs> yeah. We don't know his timeline, so I I don't think so, but I don't it either, was a thought I had. It would have had to be pre him coming to 1986. Yeah. No. How old is Regina? Like 16 at that point? 17? Yeah, maybe. So you, for this to be true, he would have had to travel to like the 60s and fathered Regina with Claudia? But we don't know which, but I, and again, I don't, this is was a passing thought. It doesn't have to be the old 86 Alexander yeah, as well. Right. But who knows? But another thought that I had, and again, this is just grasping at straws. I, I'm not setting my stone on this is for sure. But also right after the- What? <laughs> You're Stein. Yeah. Also right after this, I noticed after I did all this reading, she says right after, she's like, no, I have no relations with the Nielsens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to me, that was like, wait, do you? Are you sure? You Who do. Who is your father? You 100% do. <laughs> is that your theory, Jen? Yes. The knee. Kneevald? Yeah. There's, there's, but I think even there's a Doppler connection here. I don't even know. It's hmm. getting weird. <laughs> yeah. So that was the play, I believe, that she was referencing. <laughs> I had the same scene had stuck out to me the second time I viewed it. The weird thing is, is that... I went on a Google search after that. And I'm curious, Josh, how did you find this play? Like, what was the... I think I just searched, like, ghost, German, and the, a line that she said about, like, from our parents. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what line she said. That was the first re- result. And I clicked on it. And I'm like, oh, yep, this is it. Okay, so it's weird because I was watching this episode for the first time a couple nights ago rather late and I I had to like backtrack through my internet history to find how I came to two different plays and the only weird thing about it is if you do anything y'all know google search related to dark it's a dangerous territory we have to be very cautious and there were two plays and I forget exactly what I google searched but ghosts came up but another play called The White Devil came up. And The White Devil, (laughs) I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I remember this phrase, but I went back and rewatched episode two and I was like, wait, Regina never says The White Devil. Helk says that later, we know, when he's talking to Egon. And The White Devil synopsis, I'm not going to get into it now, but I noticed of all of our season two episodes, there's literally one titled The White Devil. So it came up because of that maybe Hmm. and i had Hmm, again to like close some things because like oh crap i can't be seeing that right now so i think ghost is accurate but it was weird to me that i was kind of vacillating between these two plays is like which one's the right one that she's who is white devil by it's older it's italian john webster i think he's pre-shakespeare wow so yeah 1585 yeah so I I just looked at that synopsis a little bit and I was like, no, nah, that doesn't seem right. But it did have some interesting layers to it that made me wonder if it 
felt right later. So we'll find out. Interesting. That was just an interesting little exploration. I know last time I had said I was going to talk about, Josh, you had reminded me of genealogy with Adam coming up in season two, episode one, and with Noah. I don't have a ton to say about that. The only thing that struck me after watching episode two, and it was particularly his interaction with Mickle, Noah, was Noah had three sons. And so far, there have been three boys who have been adopted, I guess, by Noah slash Helg that have perished. Are you saying Yazin, Eric, and Mads? Correct. But then there's this outlier of Mikkel, who he interacts with in episode two, but also Mikkel, who somehow travels time and doesn't end up in this death time traveling chair. So because there are so many biblical allusions, I don't, again, have any like... I can't say much about Adam because I don't know much about Adam at this point, but I'm thinking about these name choices and I'm thinking about the role that Noah plays and I'm thinking more about Noah's character overall, but just this number three, these three boys, again, that he's used to test a theory, I suppose, is kind of just sticking in my notes of, all right, what should I observe moving forward? What else will we learn about Adam? But outside of that, the reason the Regina and Alexander conversation stood out to me is because I don't know if the seed was planted by their conversation, but I was just thinking about generational sin. She brings up that phrase specifically within this play of ghosts. And Mm -hmm. it was something that I was more thinking about in lines with Hannah and Jonas adult Jonas. And again, I don't have a really deep place of clarity to walk here. It's more of just questions that are boggling me at this point in time and just kind of racing around in my mind. But I feel like Jonas isn't as innocent or pure as we think he is just because he's the daughter of Hannah and Hannah has made some really lewd. Wow, so you're just placing that on him. I am only because I think we see it in every other family dynamic, pretty much. That there is this yuckiness that gets kind of passed down. This similarity from like Trant to Ulrich. Um, obviously, we don't know a ton about Charlotte's history, but even like... Charlotte and Francisca, if we want to fixate on that symbol of birds. And there's this thread of from Egon to Regina, if we want to just talk about cancer. Like, obviously, in our history, we're kind of like, oh, if there's cancer in my history, that's a concern. But there's something to be said for, I get that this is more of a religious thing, but that generational sin of like, oh, my parents did this. This is a thread in my history from grandparents to parents to me. I think that that's a realistic notion and something that I wouldn't put past the writers of the show to say, 
yeah, we're going to tackle this. We have so many biblical illusions already that yeah. this doesn't seem far-fetched. I agree. I think that it definitely isn't just related to religion. I mean, the way that you're phrasing it, generational sin, is definitely clearly tied to religious theology, I guess it would be. Yeah. But the concept itself is applicable outside of religion mm-hmm. to the point where yeah. I think everybody would agree that we are all affected by our parents. I mean, this goes back to East of Eden right. and the question that Josh asked, are we locked into what our parents did? Is our time on earth decided because of that? Do we really have free will or are we locked into the way that our parents affected us? Mm-hmm. I said, Josh asked it, but really Steinbeck asked it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he indeed. did. But I think there's something intriguing about this younger generation in the show where I feel like they really want to break free from that. Again, don't know what it's going to look like, but there seems to be a disconnect between parent and child at the 2019-2020 realm where I feel like we can speak to this more later down the road. Yeah. I really wanted to stick to themes. I feel like I sometimes go really deep into like scientific or philosophical concepts. And I wanted to make sure that I stuck to analysis of this episode and of the series as a whole in the same way that I would a text in my class. And in this episode, it was easy for me because secrets seem to be the driving force behind a lot of decisions being made. In this episode alone, you have Magnus and Francisca, Francisca keeping secrets and saying that secrets are okay, but it's really just what we project onto others that is the problem. Mm-hmm. You have Egon keeping his illness a secret from his daughter, Claudia. You have Jonas, who decides that secrets were the issue. Mm-hmm. He says, I tried to keep a secret. The truth is that's exactly what's destroying us. I want you to see for yourself. I want you to see dad's secret. And you have Claudia, in essence, keeping a secret from her younger self by not telling her everything, right? She could say, here's who Adam is. She could say, here's what you need to do. But she keeps these things secret. Mm -hmm. And that's just within this episode itself. Obviously, throughout previous episodes, secrets have been an enormous theme building as time has gone on. And Martha's point of view is that secrets are terrible, right? She thinks that everybody has their own secret and that's awful. And Magnus's kind of flippant response is, you know, some things you just want to keep to yourself. That obviously bites him in the butt in this episode where he tries to uncover a secret and he can't deal with it still being secret and it ends up hurting his relationship with Francisca. You know, notwithstanding everything that we said about perhaps she's not being 100% honest with him. Throughout this, you have Hannah and Ulrich's secret as well, which Katarina discovers, and that leads to her speech on that radio show saying that Wyndon is a festering wound because of everybody's secrets. Noah keeping secrets from his younger self, from Helg, from insert person. You know, Noah keeps secrets from everybody. And I think it even goes back to Mikkel slash Michael's suicide letter in which he talks about having kept a secret from everybody for a long time and how he tried to make a lie into his truth in order to survive. And I think that this show is building up a lot of things. I think that very similarly to East of Eden, it's building up this question of, can we escape the past? Are we able to make a choice outside of the outside forces that affect us? And secondly, in terms of secrets, I think it's 
asking us to consider what we share with others and how we share it and why we share it. And ultimately, I think so far, at least, this show is proving Francisca wrong, right? Francisca's whole thesis is that it's okay for me to have a secret. Even if we're dating, it doesn't have to affect you if I have a secret from you. And as a married man, I think that she is wrong. I think that having a big (laughs) secret like that is going to be a festering wound in your relationship that will never heal it. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Jen? In marriage, it's different. They're not married, so (laughs) she can keep her secrets. Oh, I think it's totally within her right to keep her secret, but I think that she is naively thinking that it does not affect their relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I just think this all goes back to a point that I made long and long ago about our ability to communicate within existential philosophy and how part of that is that language itself is flawed. But the other part of that is everybody has secrets and everybody has things that we want to hide from each other for whatever reason. Clausen is clawing through everybody's secrets in this episode. Charlotte is now keeping a lot of things from him directly. And I just think that the show is is setting up ultimately to answer this question of, are secrets okay, are secrets good, or are secrets ultimately harmful? And at this point, I think that the show is kind of siding with Jonas, who is coming to the conclusion that secrets are bad, and I should not keep secrets. And who knows if that will maintain itself through the series? That's just really what I picked up on up to this point about secrets in this show. Mm-hmm. I know that that doesn't leave a lot of you guys room for you guys to kind of respond and have thoughts. And I know that we sometimes we kind of like to have a little repartee, but I feel like yeah, it's just a big question mark still to some degree. In terms of the answer, mm-hmm. sometimes secrets feel necessary. Are you saying personally or within the show? I think within the show to a degree. At least for a time period. I think the biggest secret that I'm curious about is why Claudia is not forthright with Jonas the Stranger, the the older Jonas. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she just doesn't know, but I feel like she knows a lot that she's not letting on to herself and to other people around her. Yeah. If her whole thesis is some things must happen as they have always happened, of course she's going to keep secrets. I think there's only so much you can handle or that won't thwart things to a degree that is irreparable. As somebody who hates secrets, (laughs) I think the show is going to land on the right side, which is secrets are good as long as I know them. I love secrets. (laughs) All right. So that was Lit 101. And now let's move on to Still in the Dark. This is where we talk about questions that are still agonizingly out of our reach by the end of the episode. And what do you guys got? Obviously, now my number one question is, who is Regina's father? That's that's it. That's like the big one now. For also, some reason, that's... who is Charlotte's parent? Or who are Charlotte's oh, parents? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's mine, is is who are Charlotte's parents? But uh, What is Tannhaus' connection to the Sycamundus Creatus-est photo? Yeah, that's true. I'll go back to my earlier question of how on earth is Peter Doppler the son of Helg? What is the connection there? The other thing that interests me is just Noah's relationship with Mikkel versus 
Mads, Yasin, and Eric, that he's obviously following Mikkel's path, but where does that lead? What is What comes of that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if he just knows that things must happen the way they have happened, I wonder if the answer is just he didn't take Mikko because he never took Mikko. He just seems to oh, intervene, Oh, I though. know what it is. Mikko needs to have Jonas so that old Jonas can make the Sigmundus Creatus time warp. He's protecting that, right? Maybe. He does seem to be guarding his path pretty closely between yeah. Jonas coming back in the hospital room and then going to the cave. I mean, he, he knows that Jonas needs to exist. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately. And maybe that's just the real thing. Mm. Now I'm just looking forward to the Back to the Future-esque romantic escapades where, you know, Noah works together to convince Hannah to love Mikkel and <laughs> to ultimately have oh, a child. Dear. The George McFly of the story. <laughs> yeah. They'll have a kiss during a dance. Ew. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those are the big questions. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. You have made it this far. I'm sure of it. Everyone who started this episode is now here with us at the end. And we will see you next time at Season 2, Episode 3, Ghosts. Will Mikkel still be wearing his awesome backpack? Who will meet a time-shifted version of themselves next? What other fruits will Noah eat threateningly with a knife? Find out next time on Lit After Dark. And remember, keep it lit. If you like this podcast, please give us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We may be reading some more reviews out in the future. If you'd like, you can email us at litafterdarkpod at gmail.com with questions or comments. That's L-I-T-A-F-T-E-R-D-A-R-K pod at gmail.com. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at litafterdarkpod. Thank you to Luke Van for our theme song. You can follow his work on YouTube. That's Luke Van with two N's. Into a pomegranate. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) They're so so small. (sighs) Juice everywhere. Stains. It's on my collar. (laughs) The listeners won't know, but we just (laughs) took a hiatus of about two weeks. Do we need to clap in? Oh, yeah. Good call. Sorry, I just wanted to. (laughs) Jen, thank you. Jen's better than me. We already knew All that. <laughs> These are going to the bloopers. Three. <laughs> Three, two, one.